we will be starting a brand new series today, which is exciting. So uh, we've just finished our series through uh, the life of Elijah and Elisha, and now we are transitioning to the gospel of John. Now, I, I love this gospel because it's uh, utterly unique in the way that it presents Jesus to us. Uh, it is, uh, in some sense, more than just the stories of Jesus. It goes beyond them and really kind of captures the person uh, that John experienced, this, uh, this divine Son of God in all of his love and all of his miracles and all of his teachings in all of his grace. And so we get this uh, very kind of formed theological perspective on Jesus from someone who's had time to uh, not just tell the stories, but this gospel came a little later. Uh, if history is right, John, it tells us that John the apostle lived to be 88. And so he received these stories. He knew Jesus. And so he had time to kind of collect and, and present this picture of Jesus full of theological richness, and we're going to see that today. We're not going to start with uh, John the Baptist or the birth narratives. No, John is going to give us uh, a much deeper and richer picture of who Jesus really is going far, far back. And so we're going to see today uh, this introduction. Oh, wait, who is this Jesus who is going to come. We're going to see that this is the eternal divine Son of God. And we're going to see the prophet who testified to him and why he's entering into human history and the problem that he's seeking to overcome. That yes, he is this divine word and life and light, but he cannot stay distant from humanity and from creation because all need to see him, know him, hear him, that they might receive life through him. So with that in mind, let's read uh, John 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Pray with me. Uh, Father, as we look at this passage, uh, Lord, we see the ever-present working of Christ in all things. 
who stood over all time, imparting life and light. And Father, yet, we still do not know him. Lord, we ask that we might, uh, through this word, by your Spirit, that we might know more of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. We might know his working, that we might see him in all things, and that we might uh, know you through him. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for his death and resurrection, and we thank you uh, that you seek your children to be born not of flesh, not of the will of man, but of you. Lord, would you uh, seek and save the lost through Jesus Christ, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, we start by looking at the divine origin of Jesus Christ presented in this book as the second person of the Trinity. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now this story, it, it doesn't ease its way into presenting Jesus. All the other Gospels, they start much more slowly, right? They kind of uh, let us get this kind of gathering picture that, oh, this, this person might be really important. And there's prophecies and there's miracles around him, but we don't know who he is, that there's a mystery. All right, that's not how John begins. All right, John begins with this kind of epic, triumphal, grand entrance in the beginning. The very same words of the old of the the first book of the Bible of Genesis, in the beginning. And he's hearkening all the way back to the very creation. Even the days before creation. And he's recasting everything in light of this new revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And what is he seeing there? He is seeing that there, in the beginning, before creation, someone already was. Now, of course, they all understood that, yes, God, God was already there. Of course, he was the one who created it. But, no, there's a second that there was the Word, and that the Word already was in the beginning before anything was created, before anything was made. And now, why that Word? The, the Word. Now, this is Greek. Uh, in Greek, it's, it's logos. I only tell you that not because, ooh, ooh, ooh he knows the Greek. Uh, you guys probably all know that too. Uh, is that logos had, had taken on so much meaning in the ancient world. And so to say this, it was like this kind of buzzword. And not even the Jews, but also the pagans would have heard this. And they would have recognized it. Now the Stoics, they, would, they knew the Logos. They knew the Logos as this source of kind of divine reason and logic and purpose in the universe. That all truth and, and all knowledge and all reason would, would flow from 
this divine source, and every person had this kind of little piece of the logos that they were trying to work with. But above and beyond it was the source. This divine source of truth. Now others in, in the Greek world, they recognized that the logos was kind of the paradigm. The true, the true and perfect, the the thing that was the standard by which everything else was derived. So you have all these imperfect people, but in the Logos there was the idea of the perfect and true man. And you have all these perfect, these random dogs, but there's, there's the ideal dog, of which all the other things are trying to imitate. All right? And he's trying to say, like, okay, that's this philosopher, they're saying, no, there is this thing of which everything else is derived. And it is a true thing, and it is called the Logos. Now, the sin blends over into the Old Testament as well. The Logos, the word, was known, and it was not new in the ears of, of those who knew the Old Testament. We know that God, he works through his word. That God spoke things into creation, and he delivers by his word. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. That the word is, is active in deliverance and in resurrection. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not be to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so this word starts to take on this, this secondary dimension that it's almost personified. It almost has a, a life of its own. And it's powerful and used to bring about salvation and creation, judgment even. All right, so we have John presenting in this like beautiful, kind of precise and compact way, all of these concepts blended into this one word, the logos. And he's saying that before anything was, this was. Now, let's see what he says about it. The word, the principle, the wisdom, the ideal of truth, the instrument of God, this word was with God, and the word was God. All right, both of those things at the same time. Now, you know, it's often said, well, uh, we don't actually, it doesn't actually say or talk about the Trinity in the Bible. All right, it does, right here. And it's complicated because this is hard. Like, so look at it first. So there is this thing, the word, and it is with God. All right. Do you say that about yourself? Would you say, like, oh, I was, I was with myself in the park. <laughs> I hope not. That's weird. <laughs> no, there's, so there's this clear distinction between the Word and God. I think you'd be with them, but not, not the same. It's saying something more there. But then, the Word was God. Identified with him. 
And these, this is a Jewish writer. John the Apostle was a Jew. He understood there is but one God. And so it creates this difficulty. How can, how can God be with God? And we wrestle with this. Now, there are some who, who look at this, uh, this passage and they falsely interpret it. This would be those who are calling themselves Christians but are not. And they say, well, no, the word, the word was a God or was God-like or the word was divine. And they say that because uh, it doesn't say the word was the God. It just says the word was God. There's no article there. Okay, and so they're saying, well, all right, maybe he was one of the gods or, or just godlike. Um, now, some of you don't care about that. Some of you will encounter someone like a Jehovah's Witness, and they'll, you'll hear that, and it'll be confusing to you. Uh, all right, the Greek here, it just doesn't work that way. They're playing fast and loose with the Greek, and that can be scary because you're like, I don't know Greek. Maybe, maybe I've been deceived. All right, I'll tell you right now, you haven't been deceived. Right, this is a phrase, and this is a way of saying something that is specific. And so you have instances where it says the same thing, like King David was king of Israel. And no one would say, well, there's no the there. So he, he was probably just a king of Israel, or he was king-like. No, he was the king of Israel. That's what it's trying to say. And just because it doesn't have an article there, it doesn't mean that it's saying he was a god or like god or divine. In fact, it's a way of phrasing it so that the emphasis is upon the god at the end. It's kind of a way of delaying it so that it makes sense because it, it's so shocking that we would say that this word was with god and the word was actually god in spite of what, what we might expect from the, the previous statement. Now, we have something crazy here, something shocking here, that here we have the, the theology of the Trinity really starting to be laid out. And we have to wrestle with it. That yes, there is one God and yet we have this distinction. So, both of these persons are God, and yet there is one God. There is one personal God, and there are three persons. And that both of those things coexist at the same time. All right. One time someone called me up, really frantic, and they're like, I've been thinking about the Trinity, and I realize... It doesn't make complete sense to me. <laughs> Help me. I, don't, I have no idea who God is. And I was like, well, no, you're actually, you're actually, because it doesn't make sense, that means you have good theology about the Trinity. All right, it should, it should in some sense not make sense uh, because, all right, you are you, one essential being, and you are also one person. That's just how humans work. You have one being and one person. And we think, okay, that's, that's helpful. I like that. All right, God is not like that. He has one being, three persons. And all are God, and yet God is one. 
One, personal essence. Three, persons. All right. Those two things coexist together in the beauty of this thing called the Trinity. And it is right here on the pages of Scripture. We believe this because this is who God has revealed himself to be. And we hold this mystery. And as long as it's that mysterious, uh, we've done it right. Don't make three gods. Don't make one god with three parts. Nope. <laughs> one essential god, three persons. And imagine how mind-blowing this would have been, hearing it for the first time on the pages of Scripture that John has reflected on this. And this is the, the way to say it, that the Word was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now we can see now why John starts at the very beginning. Because he is recasting all of Scripture and all human history to recognize this one who in some sense had been missing, had been lost, was, was new in a sense, but he had always been there. It's like a good mystery or a movie with a twist, all right? It's not that there's all of a sudden some, like, tons of content at the end of the movie and you're like, oh, well, if you told me that, I would have gotten it. No, it goes, good movies go, or good mysteries, they go back and they, they show you all the pieces that if you'd been clever enough, you would have been able to put it together. They don't add anything new. They just recast it and you see, oh, that's who the killer was. It was right there all along. In this case, oh, the word, the word was not just this inanimate thing. No, the word was God himself, the second person of the Trinity. God is bigger and more complex than we realized. And now we have to go back and recast everything in light of that revelation. All right, so he's there. And he has always been there. What has he been doing? Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so we're staying in that creation mode, and we're remembering, okay, God spoke all things into existence. And so we could say, yes, God, God created all things. But John is saying, no, there's more to that story. That yes, God the Father spoke. But those, the Word was a person who is fulfilling all the things that the Father was speaking. So that all things were created by the Father through the Son. Through the word that there was an instrument through which the Father worked all along. A path. A conduit. All right, think of it like this. All right. So, uh, in our household, we talk a lot about electricity because kids have lots of questions about electricity and how it works, and so we've gone through, like, electricity podcasts, and so, oh, so this is on my mind. So, uh, there is a power plant and a power plant. 
All right, it's dispersing electrons, creating magnetic charges or electric charges, gathering them together. But they're far away. And you need something through which to access the power. I don't care how much you want to have access to the power or hope that that power reaches you. There has to be a wire going from that power plant to you and back again or you're never going to have any access to it. All of the power, all of that reality comes through those wires. All right, I hope you can put together the analogy. All right. The Father, likewise, yes, he has all the power and, and glory and honor and majesty and all of it is dispersed through the Son, through the Word. Nothing, nothing comes from the Father except through the Word. And there's no access to the Father except through the Word. There's no power coming from us through the Father except through the Word. And we realize how foolish it would be to try to bypass the Son or bypass the word, or to ignore the word when everything about God comes to us through that word. Most importantly, probably, being life. That life comes from God the Father through the Son, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the Father has life in himself. The Son has life in himself. But that life is accessed through the Son. And so we have that, that same analogy that, that Jesus is the, the veins of life that, that feeds all life and that maintains all life that it comes to us through him. Just as all things were created through the Son, all things are sustained and maintained and nourished by that very same Son, the Word, who is life. And so I want us to step back a little bit and we think, okay, yes, we want to jump to the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But John's taking us back further, and he's saying, wait, 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 wait. Yes, there's resurrection life in Jesus, but all life has been coming from Jesus this entire time. This isn't some weird change that God has created that now you have to go through the sun to get life. No, this is always how it has been. That every time we see a living thing, we are seeing something connected to and drawing its life through the sun through the word, that all of us are living and breathing through the word who is life, and that everywhere all around us is the Father connected through the Son, maintaining and sustaining life all around us, that that is what he has been doing from the very beginning. 
has been doing from eternity past and will continue to do into eternity future. Because that is who he is and who he has always been. Now, my question is, do you see him? Do you see him everywhere? Do you receive all things from him? Do you take life for granted, or is it ministered through this instrument, the word? Now, it goes on to say more. And the life was the light of men. Now, Jesus is not just the source of life. He's the source of, of light, which is a difficult analogy here because it, it has um, some dimensions to it. So first, the, the light, it, it stands in contrast to the darkness, in contrast to the chaos and the cold and the kind of the vast reaches of uncreation. And so in that sense, he is he's pushing back chaos and, and the lack of life. He is maintaining creation. But it's, it's more than that. We're going to see that there's far more than that, that he is the light of men, that there is a reason that darkness is ever encroaching. There is a reason that all things are crumbling and breaking, that life doesn't just stay as it is, but descends into death. Because men are in darkness. That we have embraced the darkness. That we, in our sin and our rejection of God, our denial of the Lagos, our denial of the Word, our ignorance and rejection of Him is the darkness has brought about the darkness, is sin and is death. That what did we do? We, we cut the wires because we didn't want the power to flow. We didn't want to be dependent upon the Father ministering life through us. No, we wanted life on our own. And what did we find? We found darkness and we found death. But we have this beautiful statement. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That in spite of the darkness that, that seeks to, to destroy and seeks to kill, that this light endures and pushes and overcomes. And that, yes, Jesus has been not only maintaining creation, he has been holding back the tide of darkness and evil and sin. Giving us truth. Connecting us back to the Father. Showing us the, the deadness of sin and the world of holiness and righteousness and light. So, we have this strange situation where the, the creation is like a, it's like a plant, utterly dependent upon light, and yet it is a stupid plant. 
It is a plant that runs from the light, denies that it needs the light, and cowers from the light. And so we have this picture of Jesus just chasing creation and, and giving it life even as it's running and rejecting and not comprehending how desperately it needs the word. And that is, that is why we have this next section. That's why we go all the way from creation, the very beginning, all the way up to zero AD in the ancient Near East, a man, John the Baptist, living in Judea, calling out, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John is, or, yeah, so John is bridging the gap here between this battle of death and life, this battle of darkness and light, and bringing that battle to human history and bringing it upon one man, John the Baptist. And that John, he has comprehended the light. He's understood who this light is and how dependent the world is upon the light, and he understands that the light is coming into the world and calling for the world to receive the light after rejecting it for so long, after running from it and cowering from it. This light will expose the darkness and sin, but will also bring life in its wake. Now, we get a, a, another picture of God's as using instruments. So we see the Father using the instrument of the Son, and now the Father is using the instrument of just a normal, ordinary man to make the world understand how important this light is. Now, in this, we see the, the importance of... A, that one person can have as a witness. That one man or woman can have as a witness to the life, to the light, to the word to Jesus Christ. That a witness to Christ can, can change someone's life forever, can turn someone from, from death to life. This is a huge deal that a witness to the light can, can illuminate. And that task is given to, to one man, given to John the Baptist, who stands like alone in the darkness and speaks that all might believe through him. All right. Now, how remarkable that that God should enter history in this way. And she could go be as intimately connected with humanity that all these things would depend upon one man's faithfulness, and yet it does. But a reminder, John was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light. 
Now, why do we say this? We say this because there's a temptation to think that any man or any woman is the light, is the source of life, has anything on Jesus. But yet we are fools. And we look to man to bring light and to bring life. We can get invested in people. And in in modern language, what is this saying? This is saying that John was not God's gift to creation. And you are not God's gift to creation. And no one in this room and no one around you and no one you has ever met is, is God's gift to creation. Stop trying to find people to be your light or your life or the word. There's only one. And he's already come. John the Baptist has identified him. He came in human history. He came 2,000 years ago. And he will be the only light and life and word that you will ever need and that will ever be. He came. Now we go on to see, okay, what just why why did he come? What was the problem? If the light is doing all this work and if life is being filtered through the sun, what was the problem? Verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. All right, this is this is a, a pre kind of a preview of the incarnation. That that light and life was going to come face to face with his creation. And instead of being with God, he was going to come down and be with man, with his creation, with them, dwelling with them. And that all the other false lights would be put out when this true light came, when it comes and when it gives light to everyone. This promise that he will come and he will shine so brightly that the world will be forced to either run to the darkness and reject him or come and approach the light in truth and receive the life that he comes and brings. But John clarifies, in a sense, this he's already been doing this. Verse 10. And this goes back to to what we've already said. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What he's saying, it's kind of ironic that Jesus should have to come because he's already here. He already was there. He'd been there for thousands and thousands of years. He'd been ministering since the very beginning. But the problem was no one cared and no one saw him, and no one received him and they did not know him. And he talks about this in two senses. First, in the sense of general revelation. So general revelation is, uh, is God's revealing himself in just the world and in all things that were created. And what is he saying? He's saying that Jesus was present there. He was present and he was working and he was communicating things, but no one cared and no one knew him. And in some sense, that's still the case. Like we said already, Jake, 
do you take every breath knowing that it is through Jesus that you take that breath? Do you see life and say, oh, that's through Jesus? Praise God that through Jesus this life is present. When the light shines, are you thinking, oh, it's through Jesus? Praise Him that the light is, is coming down, that we're not just mired in death. Do we know that it's through the Son that, that life is consistent and predictable, comprehensible? That's where it does the... All right, we're getting kind of philosophical here. Stick with me. Does the mathematician... Say, it is through the sun that one plus one equals two. And thank God that it's, it's that way because the sun is making it that way and he's keeping it that way. So we can do arithmetic. You're welcome, every kid. You know, you can go to math class because Jesus is making sure math works. All right. Does the physicist sit there and recognize it is through Jesus that gravity still works yesterday, today, and tomorrow? And all this stuff, it just... It makes sense and it works because it is through the sun. Does the doctor work to heal the sick knowing that it's only through Jesus that life is maintained? Do you? Do you live your life recognizing these things? And I think we have to say no. No, we don't attribute these things to the Son. We don't know Him through them. We don't thank Him that Christ is ever giving us gifts of, of life and, and order and goodness in creation. And yet, what do we do? We, we peel the sticker, the name tag, off of the, these gifts and we attribute them to nothing or to no one. We say this is just how the world works. We take off the through Jesus and we say through science or just through order or through nature. And we reject the gift. Or we call it our own discovery. We say that that's just how, the, how it should be. One of the crazy things is that uh, C.S. Lewis, one of the things that converted him and that convicted him was that he felt thankfulness for all of the order and all of the beauty and all of the goodness in creation. And he, he realized that as an atheist, he couldn't thank anyone. And he was so thankful. He's like, I need to find someone to thank. These are gifts. Clearly, they're coming from someone. And that led him towards, uh, towards finding the light. Most of us have never even thought like that. And that's the reality of, of, of the problem that the Word faces. Now, there's another sense in which the world did not know Him and did not receive Him. Likewise, they didn't receive Him in special revelation. So general revelation, all the stuff in the world that, that speaks to God, special revelation, prophecy, Scripture, those revelations of God. And, and the Gospel of John is recognizing that even those things, 
they have they failed to to give people the life that they need. Verse 11 says, From eternity past, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So the light of the sun, the word, came to the nation of Israel and to the people of Israel from generation to generation to generation that the light was shining. And what's the, the reality? That most of the people who received that revelation didn't receive the word. They didn't receive the Messiah. They didn't receive a Savior. They received teaching. They received the threefold office of priest and king and prophet. They received promises. They received the law and wisdom and pictures of salvation and resurrection and even just Elijah and Elisha that we just saw. Like, they, the word, the, the life, the resurrection, all those things are just present all over the pages there, and yet we miss them. They miss them. And instead of hearing the rebuke and praising the Son and seeking life through Him, what did they do and what do we do? We strip the sun out of the picture altogether. And maybe we think, oh, these are just uh, good moral lessons in the Old Testament to help us be better people. Or we say, you know what, yeah, I can get behind an eternal God. I don't know if I need this Jesus guy. No, I'll just go straight to God. I don't, I don't need this instrument or maybe we hear about saviors and, and salvation. What do we think? Oh, okay, I need to be a savior. I need to go kill Goliath. I need to go get into the lion's den. And no, we miss it. We fail to see Jesus. Or we see the impossible law standing before us, and what do we say? Well, I guess I just need to try harder. That's the point. No, that was never the point. The point was that you would see the Son. They'd see that you need someone who would do this for you and, and offer you salvation. And so in both general and special revelation, the world just again and again was missing. Missing the Son. Which is so tragic because what does this undo? Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, thankfully, some did receive him. We've seen that, the, the remnant. We saw Elijah crying out, like, where, where are all your people? And they said, there are some. There are some who do not turn to idolatry, who do not reject the Son. And what do they receive? They receive the right to become children of God by believing in His name. By the simple act of faith, they are changed. And 
It is not by birth. It is not by trying hard. It is not by blood. It is not by will of the flesh. It's not by the will of any man, but God. God makes them the children of of himself. He includes them in the family. So, why is Jesus coming? Jesus is coming because he is not content to have one little remnant. He's not content to, to be the light that is shining and giving life to the world. And this tiny fraction of this tiny nation would be the only ones to receive it. And he is sick of having himself obscured by the law. To have his own people saying, oh, it, it, there is no light, there is no Savior. Just save yourself. Be good. Try hard. Be good like we are. And this just lies. And he will not stand for it. And so, he has to reveal himself. And if people will not look at the light as it shines from heaven, he will stand face to face with them and force them to look at God. Force them to see life and light. Force them to make a decision to receive him and believe or reject him and run. And that is what Jesus does in the gospel. This is Jesus. This is the Son. This is the Word coming face to face with his creation and saying, no, I am God. This is what I look like. This is the life that I offer you. Will you receive me? And so as we embark on this journey through John, that is what we are doing. This is an encounter of the word and the life and the light. An encounter that we might meet this one who has life and light in himself. That we might see this one who who overcomes the darkness with his own death and resurrection and who offers for people to become the children of God. May we. May we come to know Jesus more. May we know him and receive him and seek him for the life that he offers us, for that creation life and for the resurrection life that he offers. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are slow to see the light. We are slow to see, the, or to hear the word, and Lord, that it is easy to miss Jesus. And Lord, we ask, uh, we recognize that even if some of us, even as we claim to have received him and to know him, we do not know him as we should. We have not received him as we, as we can. And Father, for some, they have not received him at all. And so, Father, I ask that 
you might use your word, you might use the gospel of Jesus Christ, this book of John, to present the light. That we might have an opportunity to receive and to believe and to become your children. Father, what a gift you have given to mankind. What a gift you've given to us. A gift of mercy and of grace. Lord, would we receive this one Jesus as God, as Savior, as a source of light and life? And would you help us to live in him and enjoy uh, that life to your glory, we pray in Christ's name.